really did have a great uh, worship night last night. And, you know, every week here, we're led by uh, different people in the bands, and we just appreciate what they did last night and what they do every week for us. We, we are very appreciative of all the effort that our creative arts teams, our bands, put into our services. I, I was mentioning last night that a week from today, well, really Saturday technically, we're celebrating the 10th birthday of our Allen Park campus. It was a decade ago that we launched at that new campus in Allen Park High School on 10-10-10, October 10th, 2010. It's already been a full decade, so next Sunday, we're gonna be thanking God for the work that he's done changing so many lives in the northern part of Down River. Look, if you're new with us, if you're online with us, really glad that you're here. Uh, don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. You may or may not consider yourself a Christian. You may not be sure at all, but in any case, you found a good place to explore and a good time to begin because we are starting a new series today called The Way because uh, those first Christians in the New Testament were, said that they were the way. They belonged to the way because Jesus said, I am the way. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Peter later would talk about how Christianity is the way of truth. And a couple in the book of Acts led another young man who uh, needed to be baptized and said, so they took him aside and they taught him the way of God, the way of God more accurately. That's what we want to do. We want to talk about this way and hopefully that you know the way as well. God has made a way for each of us to be made right with him, to be saved, to be forgiven. He is the only way and I want to make sure that you understand it and uh, ask if you're following it. Because let, let me throw some stats at you. I think a lot of people, even people who consider themselves Christians who are in the church, don't really understand the way. Because th these stats just came out this year from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian, uh, Christian University. Here it is. Unlike past generations, which really realized the reality of sin and their need for salvation through Jesus, this current generation isn't quite there. We, we've fallen away from that because we've fallen into more, even in the church, of a salvation's got to be earned kind of mentality. Because it says nearly half, 48% of Americans believe that if a person is generally good or does good deeds, they can earn their way into heaven. Only 35% disagree with that. In other words, it's all based on you, your efforts, your goodness that gets you into heaven. Now, that may not be surprising among Americans, but again, it goes into the church because a majority, a majority of those who call themselves Christians, 52%, accept that kind of works mentality that, that I've got to earn my way into heaven to get God's acceptance. And get this, 41% of evangelicals, who are they? Well, they're the, they're the ones that are supposed to take the Bible seriously as God's word, who, who believe the gospel. 41% agree that it's based on your works. And by the way, 70% of Catholics who believe it's based on your works. Now get this, 63%, almost two-thirds, say, of Americans, say that having some type of religious belief is important, is more important than what you believe in. So in other words, it doesn't really matter what you believe, just as long as you believe in something. But what's more shocking is this, 68% of people who describe themselves as Christians believe that, including, again, 56%, over half of the evangelicals say, it doesn't really matter what you believe, just have a religious faith. Guys, we're, we're in trouble. Uh, we're, we're confused. We're messed up. 
if we don't even get the basic truth of what the gospel is. So what do you think? Are you confused? How do we know the truth? What is it? Well, last month, we talked about our core beliefs in regard to God. If you want to go back and watch those, or on our website, listen to the podcast. Today, this month, we're going to start talking about our core beliefs in regard to us, you and me, as individuals and our salvation. And all these beliefs are based on this passage from Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul tells us what we're to have oneness in. So let's read it together again out loud, everybody. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So in this series, we're going to talk about God's plan of salvation, our one faith and our one baptism. These are absolutely essential to understand if you want to get right with God and if you want to go to heaven. And I know for many of you, this may be old news. It's good news, but it's old news. You've heard it many times before. You get it. But for some, this is going to be the first time you've ever heard this. And really, for all of us, we need to have such a solid grasp on this that we're each one able to share it with other people because it can change their eternity. That's what God calls us to do. So here's where it starts. Each one of us has a fatal, serious problem. And the only solution is Jesus. He is the way. So today we're going to be talking about God's offer of salvation. Next week, we're going to talk about our response to his offer. But here's what we believe about salvation. As a church, we believe that everyone chooses to rebel against God and needs forgiveness of sins and eternal life, which come through trust in Jesus Christ. Goes all the way back to the beginning, literally. Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. And God creates Adam and Eve in his image, places them in paradise, wants to have fellowship with them, a relationship with them. In order to do that, he has to give them what? Free will. They have to have a choice whether they want to be in fellowship. He's not going to make them experience that. They, you can either walk with me in fellowship or you can walk away, choose between good and evil. It's on you. Because you realize God designed humans in his image to live forever with him in that paradise on earth. Garden of Eden was supposed to last forever. It was supposed to be heaven because God provided everything they needed. And there was no PTSD. There was no pain or tears or suffering or death. He walked with them in the garden. He talked with them. Very close relationship. But again, they had to choose whether to continue that or not. And so he warns them in Genesis 2, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely, what? Die. Die. And you know, they ate, they failed, they fell, and they died. At that moment, everything changed. Because eating from that tree meant disobedience, rejection, and rebellion against God. The temptation that we all face is whether God's in control or whether I am. And they chose pridefully to become their own gods, to do what I want to do. God created them and really all of us to be holy, but they were unholy and we are unholy. And unholiness cannot be in the presence of a holy God. So we got a problem. I'm going to set this up in the form of a problem and a solution. What's the problem? We need saving. Now, there are three issues here. The first is our nature is sinful. To eat from that tree, that forbidden fruit, meant 
that they would not just know about evil, but now they would actually know it. They experientially would know evil personally. And we all have now lived under that curse that was brought on everybody, on this world, through their disobedience. We've got a corrupt, messed up world with the effects of sin, and we all suffer from that PTSD now. Pain, tears, suffering, and death. Nothing we can do to get rid of that. Because in Adam and Eve, we all fell. And that's key to understanding our nature, that we inherited from them some sort of nature that has been affected by sin. Not that we're guilty of sin, but we have been affected by it. So big difference there. Our nature is sinful, and then our choices are sinful. We will inevitably choose to sin because of how it's affected us. It's bent us. It's twisted us. We now have a tendency and a propensity that we will eventually choose to sin just like they did. And the Apostle Paul points out, look, we're all in the same sinking boat. In Romans 3, I want you to notice how many times Paul says, all and no one. All people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is good, not even one. No one has real understanding. No one is seeking God. All have turned away from God. All have gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. You get it? We're all in trouble. We all got this problem. But let's be clear. What really is sin? Because there's some confusion on that. The apostle Paul, or John rather, writes in his first letter, here's what it is. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So you have to choose to sin, not just something that's thrust upon you or you're born with and hey, you've got you to do it. So there are three kinds of sin. There's first the sins of commission. You know, those are the things that you actually commit. God says, don't do that, like breaking one of his 10 commandments or, or many of the other commandments. And you go ahead and break it, you have committed a sin. All right, so that's why one of the reasons sin is called crookedness because you have gone off God's straight and narrow way to follow your own way, your crooked way, <laughs> okay? Then there are the sins of, not commission, but omission. Omission, the, the things that you omitted, the things you should do, but you don't do, right? James points this out. Anyone then who knows the good, he ought to do, and doesn't do it, sins. Jesus sums that up really well, right? When it says all the laws of God are summed up in these two, love God, with all your heart, most soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I don't do that every day, do you? So right there, we have committed these sins of omission, not loving like we should. We got a problem. In fact, one of the other Greek words for sin, you've heard me talk about this. It's, it's like an archery term. It's to miss the mark. You got a bullseye. The bullseye is what? Love. Love God, love others. When you miss the bullseye, you sin. And it doesn't matter if you miss by a mile or miss by a few inches. We all miss the bullseye when God says, let love be your aim. All right, so sins of commission, sins of omission, one other kind. They're actually sins you can commit where God hasn't even said anything about it. But you are personally convicted that something is wrong. I shouldn't do that. And you go ahead and do it. Like people who don't even have the scriptures, but they do things that they know are wrong, that's sin too. Romans 14, 23, everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. And that's what leaves you feeling guilty and shameful. Now, why? Why is it sinful? Is it just because God's some kind of uh, arbitrary parent up there saying, because I said so? No. His laws make sense. They are good. They are moral. 
think of it this way. That we, have, we have laws like that too. Some laws do seem kind of arbitrary and you know, why do we have to do that? I don't have to tell anybody that. Boy, everybody's questioning laws these days. But now we're dealing with like, okay, there's a law that probably says I shouldn't drive 100 miles an hour in front of your house, right? Why? Because it makes sense. If I do that, I could hurt you. I could hurt myself. I'm going to harm somebody. It's dangerous. Same way with God's laws. To break God's laws is going to bring harm. It's dangerous. It's going, to, it's going to affect you or somebody else. So example, when God says, do not lie, why? Just arbitrary? No. Because first of all, God says so. Because that's who he is. God doesn't lie. So you should be truthful because God is truthful. Be pure because God is pure. Be loving because God is loving. And we all struggle with this every day because we're not God. We struggle with imperfection. But here's, here's the, the, the approach we take. We think, okay, well, since everybody's messed up, everybody sins, sin must not be a big deal. Don't have to worry about it so much. And I, I know that's how we think because, again, let me take you back to the, that survey. The stats show that there's a great lack of concern of breaking God's law. Look at this. 56% of Americans say that they consciously and consistently do not attempt to avoid sinning because it offends God. More than half people say, I just go ahead and do wrong because I don't care. I know it doesn't matter if it offends God, that's what I want to do. A few years ago, LifeWay Research reported that two-thirds of Americans say that everybody sins a little, and so that's okay because people are still basically good. Two-thirds of people think we're good. And, and what's more than that is half, more than half say, Okay, well, it's fair, I guess, for God to display his wrath against evildoers, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> it's only against the most corrupt evil, evil of evildoers. Okay, God can show wrath to them, but not to me. I'm not evil. Nobody thinks they're evil. It is a big deal. Even many, again, evangelical believers, the ones who are supposed to take the word of God seriously, say that, you know what? It's okay. Everybody goes to heaven. I mean, we just kind of have this form of religion called universalism that says everybody universally is going to go to heaven one way or another. God's not going to condemn everybody. We're all just human. He understands. No, no big deal. Well, what they don't understand is how absolutely holy God is and how far we fall from that standard. Our condition is lost we are hopelessly lost. We have wandered from God. We have cut ourselves off from him. And we are in absolute need of rescue. And that's why Jesus came. If there were any other way, if we could do it ourselves, there's no need for Jesus to come and die. He had to. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. It's all of us. We're all in the same lost condition. I know we look around, we compare ourselves to other people and think, well, I'm not that bad. Because we, that's... That's not the standard. We compare ourselves to God, not one another. We always are, are underestimating our badness and overestimating our goodness. And why we do that is because we underestimate God's holiness. We don't understand how absolutely righteous and perfect he is and what he expects of us. We don't see our, our terrible, desperate condition before him more than we can imagine. So I wanna show you three things that sin does to us. First, sin condemns us. We got a legal problem. We've broken God's laws. 
And if God is going to be a righteous God and uphold his integrity, then sin needs to be punished. He is totally justified to punish sinners in, with, with righteous anger. God cannot just you know, wink at our sin and pretend like it didn't happen, sweep it under the rug, no big deal. No, it is a big deal. And our sins have made us his enemies and we're headed for hell. It's a big deal. James 2 says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at what? Just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Again, the stats show, oh, one little sin is not enough to bring down God's condemnation. Yes, it is. Because there really is no such thing as a little sin in God's sight. Every sin is a big deal. And it doesn't matter whether you commit one or you commit a million, you're guilty. Guilt is guilt is guilt, no matter how many sins you commit. How many sins did it take to get Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden? One. One. One sin makes you guilty. Secondly, sin corrupts us. It has such power over us that it weakens us. It diseases our souls. It makes us sick spiritually so that we not only do evil things, we become evil people. No, not me. Yeah, you. Look at what all the Old Testament prophets had to say about sin. Jeremiah, the human heart is most deceitful and it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You know what? The more we sin, the harder it is not to sin because our wills are weakened, our hearts are hardened, our, our eyes are blinded. We're, we're, we don't think straight. We're, we're dominated by sin. We're enslaved to it. We're a mess. I mean, we're absolutely helpless and hopeless in its power. And even the good things we try to do, even the good is tainted by the, the sickness within us. We can't, we can't do this on our own. We can't earn eternal life. Because here's the third thing sin does. It kills us. It doesn't just make us sick and weakly. We are dead men walking. Spiritually dead. Think about it again. Adam and Eve, God says, when you eat from that fruit, you will die. Physically, they did die a lot longer. But that day, they were, they were dead. They were dead. And we know that because graphically shown, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were cut off from God. They were like dead to God. Now, he still loved them, still had a plan for them. But they were spiritually dead, separated from the source of their life. And many times we, we picture it in terms of like a grand canyon that we have dug with our sins that have cut us off from God. God is on one side very holy, righteous. We are on the other side very unholy and there's no way to span that gap. Nothing you can do can do it. Here's what, again, another Old Testament prophet Isaiah says, the problem is your sins have what? Cut you off from God. Your sins. We can't blame anybody else. Your sins. Each one of us is going to have to give an account of himself to God. Another prophet Ezekiel says, it's the soul that sins. That's the one that will die. So you've got to knowingly, purposely choose to sin against God, which is why I believe small children are not condemned. They haven't committed sin yet. Oh, they've done wrong things. They've, you know, mom and dad says don't do that, and they still go and do it. Because, again, they've got that propensity, that tendency. They're messed up. But until they knowingly, purposely are accountable to God for sinning against him, they're innocent in his sight. And I don't know when they reach that age of accountability. Scripture's not clear. It's going to, I think, vary based on a child's level of understanding, the kind of home they're brought in, up in, how, many, how much scripture they've been taught, what kind of maturity level they are at, how much, you know, the light of opportunity they've had. It's, it's going to vary. But here's what I do know. Jesus says, let the little children come to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So we don't have to worry about small children being condemned. It's just the point is that some, sometime they're going to cross that line. So let's get them ready for that. 
because all of us got a paycheck coming. It's not a good one. Romans, Romans 3 says we've earned this paycheck. The wages of sin is death. Now that's the bad news. But you know, you've got to understand how bad the news is if you're going to appreciate how good the good news is, what the gospel is. We need to see what terrible, hopeless condition we're in in order, the, the, the magnitude of the problem we have before we seek the real solution. Because Romans 6 goes on to say, yeah, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're dead and we're cut off from God and that's what hell is. If we continue in, the, in that deadness, we're going to experience that separation from God, from all of his goodness and his love and his mercy and his peace and his joy. That's gone forever. And we're just going to continue on in misery, in regret, in agony. Revelation 20 says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death. Doesn't mean you cease to exist. This means you continue to be cut off from God forever. What's the solution? We got a big problem. What's the solution? Well, there's a guy who uh, his car broke down and he tried his best, everything he could think of to fix that car and he couldn't do it. So he called in some friends and some backyard mechanics, let them take a shot at it. All those guys, they tried to, they couldn't get the car running. So he finally broke down and he called a professional mechanic who then came in, popped the hood, looked around at the engine for a couple seconds, took out a small hammer, tapped a couple times, and it started running. And the, and the man was thrilled until he got the bill. The mechanic handed him the bill and it was $400. You know, stunned uh, by, by how much the bill was. And he says, I, I demand an itemized list of these charges. And the mechanic said, fine, and he wrote it down. A dollar for my time and labor, $399 for knowing where to tap, right? You cannot save yourself. Nobody else can save you. None of your, your friends, your religions, your philosophies, nothing can save you. You got to call in the pro. You got to call in the only one who knows where to, where to tap, <laughs> the one who has the solution, and that's Jesus. There's no other way. He, not only does he fix your problem, but he pays your bill too. Paid for it with his life. Here, here's where we get into our one faith. As a church, we believe disobedience to God's laws results in spiritual and eternal separation from God. That's the bad news. The gospel is the good news of salvation offered by grace, received through faith, demonstrated in repentance and baptism, and lived out with the evidence of holiness and good works. All right, so we got the problem. We need saving. Here's the solution. God saved us. All right, that's the gospel, that God in his love sent his son to pay to fix the problem, to pay the penalty that we could not pay, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We can't save ourselves, but he can. And as we turn from our sin to him, turn from living for self to living for him, turn from darkness to light and death to life, that's what repentance is. It, and you know, it doesn't actually matter. I, you may disagree. Christians disagree on what original sin actually does to us. It doesn't matter because what Jesus did on the cross negates it. It cancels original sin. Yes, we're still in, impacted by it. We're affected by it. We still suffer PTSD 
pain, tears, suffering, and death in this world, but we no longer suffer the guilt of original sin. And guys, salvation is so meaningful. There's no way to just give you one term for it. Just say saved. There's a lot of beautiful imageries here. And I'm just going to give you four real quick to describe it. First is justification. That means Jesus made me right with God. Let's go back to the courtroom. Satan is the accuser. He's a prosecuting attorney. He brings me up in front of God and says, look at, look at this guy. Brett is a criminal. He's broken your, your laws, God. You got, you got to do something about that. God says, I did. Sent my son to pay for it. He, he, the judge himself, he hands out the sentence and then he pays for it out of his own pocket. He suffers the death penalty in my place so that my record is expunged. I am declared not guilty and I go free. So God is the one who justifies me. Looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. Just if, just if I'd never sinned. Justified. Right with God. Secondly, there's reconciliation. Jesus made peace with God possible. A reconciler brings two warring parties together who are at odds and, and puts them in a right relationship. And we're, we were enemies with God. But Jesus, being fully God, fully man, he can stand between us and bring us together. So when we receive Jesus, we wave the white flag of surrender and we come over to the right side, to the winning side, that gulf that separated us, that grand canyon of sin, the cross forms a bridge and we're able to cross over on the cross of Christ. Third is redemption. Jesus purchased my salvation with his life. Now we go back to the marketplace where slaves would be bought and sold. Jesus pays for me to deliver me from my bondage and slavery to sin so that I would belong to him. And he pays the total cost. Fourth is adoption. Jesus made me a part of God's family. I was outside the family of God. I was alone. I was a spiritual orphan. But Ephesians says his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. All right, so now that you have some pictures of our salvation, what you've got to get is the very basis. The central truth of it is that we are saved by grace. Salvation is not by works. It's by grace. I mean, have you ever gotten a phone call saying that you've won some kind of prize or you, you, you open an email and it says you're, you're the big winner and you're thinking, right, yeah, okay, too good to be true, it's some sort of scam, there's some strings attached and you're probably going to be right. But that's the way people treat God's offer of salvation. Like, ah, oh, it's too good to be true, strings attached. But that's what grace is. Grace is, no, no, you didn't do anything to earn this. I just want to give it to you. You're the winner. And it's not cheap or easy. It, it, it was a great price paid, but he paid it for you. The gracious character of God and the work of Christ is the basis for our salvation, not what we do. Ephesians 2, you guys know this one. For it's by grace you have been saved. In fact, read this with me. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by work so that no one can boast you got nothing to brag about you ain't all that you did nothing and it doesn't mean we're better than anybody else just because we accept the gift and we we accept a free gift even though we're unworthy and we don't deserve it and yet the whole world all religions are based on the idea of, I've got to I got to do something 
to make myself right with God. It's religion is man reaching up to try and appease and please this God he's offended. Christianity is God reaching down through his son and saying there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Being good isn't good enough. All the world, all the religions are like, do this, do that, do more. And that's all it is, is a bunch of do, 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 do. That's all it is. It won't get you anywhere. Jesus comes along and says, done. Done. You can't add anything to what I've done. Just accept it. Come on. Just accept it. There are plenty of people who consider themselves Christians. Churches are full of people who consider themselves religious they go to church, they give money, they, they're relying on themselves for their salvation. Now those are all good things to do, but you're not saved by your good works, you're saved for good works so that you can do good works as evidence that you're saved. Because when you stand before God one day and he asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? There are not many answers to that question. There are not many ways to say, well, I've been good, uh, I'm not as bad as other people. I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm religious. I believe in you. Big deal. The devil believes. No. There's only one answer that's the right way. And that's because I trusted Jesus as my Savior. And that's our big idea. Trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you and provide eternal life. It's the only way. And you know what? I believe God is calling you right now. I know that because he's calling you through the word that you just heard. You've heard the truth. What are you going to do with it? He's calling you through his spirit. This isn't just a human thing. That's why you're feeling that conviction right now. You're feeling that stab in your conscience, that guilt. That's why you're feeling that tug on your heart. That's God. Don't ignore it. So you might think, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready yet. I don't know if I understand everything yet. Well, do you really have to understand everything about salvation to receive it? I'm not a mechanic. I don't ever understand a lot of stuff about my truck, but I trust it to get me here all the time, and it does. Will you trust Jesus to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? Here's all you really got to understand. Very simply, three things. I'm a sinner. Can't save myself. But Jesus died and rose again and I can trust him to be my savior. So are you willing to put your trust in him? To cross over that bridge to God and to life? Are you, you ready to be changed and let God be the one that saves you? It's a gift. You can either receive it or not. But if you wanna receive it, then would you pray this simple prayer with me right now? And say, God, for too long I've, I've, I don't, I've kept you out of my life. And really deep down, I, I know I've sinned against you and way more than one time. And I see I can't save myself. I, I, I'm fallen, I've failed, and I'm unforgiven until I receive your gift of salvation. And I'm ready to do that, to trust you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus. I believe you're the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. I believe you defeated the enemy of death and I, I don't have to fear it anymore. I don't have to fear judgment. You've delivered me from sin's power and its penalty and I want to thank you for bearing my sins and giving me eternal life. 
And that's why I'm going to repent right now and turn to you. And thank you for your mercy, for not giving me what I do deserve. Thank you for your grace, for giving me what I don't deserve. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you really genuinely pray that prayer, then you're ready to be baptized. You don't have to wait and delay another moment. Now, next week, we come back. We're going to talk about our one baptism and how to receive that offer of salvation. But you don't have to wait till next week. You can be baptized today if you're ready, okay, because we've got everything ready for you. Warm water, towels, clothes, you name it. You don't have to wait. And we would love to help you do that. So after the service, in the next few moments, go out in the lobby, go to room C or D right out there. Somebody be be waiting to, to help you, to answer your questions, to pray with you, get you ready to be baptized, whatever it is. But you can also text that number, especially if you're watching online. Text that number, 734-304-7248, or email next at southpointccc.com. We'll get back to you as soon as we can, because we want to help you take your next step on your spiritual journey. So as you get ready to come back next week, it's going to be a great one to invite people to. Don't miss it. And uh, until then... On your way out, you know, make sure you encourage one another, wish each other a blessed week, stay connected to God, to us, and to one another. Have a wonderful week, guys.